0: Hello and welcome to the Relationship Matters podcast. From the boardroom to the living room, we believe relationship matters. Hello, I'm your host, Katie Churchman. And in response to recent events in the US, Faith Fuller is asking, where do we go from here? This is the same question Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a book about in 1967, titled, Where do we go from here, chaos or community? And to quote King himself, In the days ahead, we must not consider it unpatriotic to raise certain basic questions about our national character. So in this episode, Faith questions what more we can be doing as individuals to take a stand against racism. What are the next steps we can take towards a different kind of future? Whilst one person might not change the world, what they do or don't do will be having an impact and creating a ripple effect. So here's Faith talking about her personal experiences for taking a stand against racism.
1: I'm really glad to be able to continue some kind of a discussion on racism, privilege, you know, white fragility, all of the topics that are roiling around in the world right now because It's what's been on my mind and probably yours and probably everybody's. It's, it's the main thing beyond COVID that has been up. And you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting to talk about is how do we work on these issues? And there are a million ways to go. And I think it's good to start with something that's really very simple. Uh, in conversations with black colleagues, one of the things they said to me was why don 't whites take a stand in their lives when they are confronted with racism and he you know this this one person said you know i, I just don 't understand why people don 't say anything when it comes up and We addressed some of this, I think, on the last podcast we did about why it 's hard to talk about racism. But I also think it's overwhelming to know where to start. I think it would be great to touch on a few things for those of us who feel like there's so much. How do I even start? <laughs> Does that resonate for you?
0: Yeah, I think that'd be really helpful because my fear is that we're stepping into something Unknown. It's a, it's a real edge. And I don't want us to step back. Yes. I want us to keep well going said. forward. Well said.
1: Um, the other thing I just want to say is uh, in the process of trying to educate myself about the issues and open up to better understanding, I realize how incredibly ignorant I have been about issues that are bread and butter for people of color. Let me give you an example. Um, I learned about Juneteenth as a concept a couple of months ago, and many, many, many white people don't know what Juneteenth is because we have not been exposed to hardly any of what what would be considered history of racism or history of Black people in our country or globally. So Juneteenth is actually the date of the emancipation from slavery that happened in the United States. So it is a date that obviously people, black people, it's very relevant and important for them. And I was once again taken aback and embarrassed that I only heard about it a few months ago. And as I talk with people on our staff and so on, many people don't know what that Juneteenth is, that it's a celebration of the emancipation after the Civil War of Slaves. That's Black history that I grew up in ignorance of. I also grew up in ignorance of the Tulsa firebombing that happened back the beginning of the century, where essentially threatened white people firebombed uh, Greenwood in Tulsa. Oklahoma, that was a very successful and thriving, it was called the Black Wall Street, and they firebombed it. And that was then covered up. There are endless histories that I don't know anything about. And so I can come at it from, oh, I'm a terrible person. (laughs) You know, I can come at it from embarrassment, which is inevitable. How come I don't know this? And I don't know it because it isn't taught. And I can come at it from just, if I can put aside all that stuff of, what the hell, I'm curious, what else don't I know about, you know? And I think it would be really great if we can not shrink from what we don't know and open up to being curious. What else do we not know about here that is valuable information about our history together in a country? And... I decided I'd like to come from curiosity. There was also a a fabulous TED talk, was done by a Nigerian woman, and it's basically something like the danger of a single story. But where I was going is is that um, I have some friends that are very conservative about food. Some of them, and my father was like this too, very not open to new foods, finds unusual or exotic foods frankly terrifying. You know, it's like not, that's just not, wasn't his thing. And I have friends that are like that, like, don't like this food, don't like that food. Some are very, you know, only this kind of food. And I've always felt, um, although I didn't usually say that, a little bit sorry for them. And here's why. Food is a whole smorgasbord, literally, of possibilities for delight. So, the more different kinds of food you like, the more yummy opportunities you have. And so, if you only like a very limited group of foods, you have less joy and pleasure in your mouth. And, (laughs) you know, I know, you know, why do I love to travel? I love to travel because diversity is like a smorgasbord of possible joys. How do the Japanese do what they do in the way that they do it, let alone their food, which is fabulous? Their diversity is an opportunity for fascination, amazement, joy in the difference. So, one way to work against, I think, discrimination is we are depriving of ourselves of all the fabulous stories out there from different cultures and if we can open up to curiosity you know we teach in our courses curiosity drives out fear if we can open up to just wow you know how how does you know this work in Nigeria or how does that work in Japan or how does the language change or the way our brain works I know learning a little bit of a language open up my brain. You know, didn't you and I talk about that, that when languages open up a different perspective? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've, um, I've realized that being an expat, an immigrant, whatever I want to call it in America, has opened up a lot for me. And when you mentioned those two examples of Black history, I, I didn't know them, I must say. But I don't feel so guilty about that because I am here learning a lot. Yes. And I wonder whether we can all take that attitude of a, a really good tourist,
1: Absolutely. You know, and of course, thank you, Katie, for bringing us back to the tool of lands, you know, being a good tourist to a different land, as people know. The lands work exercise begins with a metaphor of how do you be a good tourist to a different land? And I know, for example, that I don't get freaked out when I travel to France and they don't have decaf, in fact, I'm, you know, they usually sneer at me for wanting decaf, <laughs> and they, you know. Um, and I don't get freaked out. You know, I usually eat dinner here at 6 o'clock, you know, early. But when I go to, you know, when I go to Spain, I can't even get served until 930. And I can get all freaked out about that, or I can go, hey, let's have a Spanish experience. Let's find out. I don't have to live there. I can try it on. I can learn about it. I have to tell you story. <laughs> You know, I, I went to a cafe in France where I asked for decaf coffee, and the waiter went and got it and brought it back. And then I made the mistake of asking whether he had any um, artificial sweetener. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me, Paul, you know, and his, his uh, you know, his eyebrow went up, on him and he said, "What's next, madam? Do you also want some wine with no alcohol?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: I remember once being in Italy and asking for a takeout coffee and I got the same kind
1: of (laughs) reaction. Yeah, so how do you be a good tourist to um, an indigenous world? How do you be a good tourist to a black world? Uh, And also when I say that I'm already violating a tenant, which is when I say the black world, a black world, I'm lumping everybody together and every black experience is different. Every white experience is different. All our stories are different, and it is a danger, as that TED talk says, to lump people into a category. And, but what we can be is curious about all the variations, all the variations within a, a particular country or a land. And we can be delighted and curious by the possibilities of that land instead of shrinking in anxiety or fear. So in terms of my own work, where to go from here, I want to expose myself to more culture as well as education. I need education about black history, but I also, I want the novels, I want the stories, the richness of people's different experiences in these countries, because those are delightful. So I guess two things I'm thinking of. One is How do we open up and expose ourselves to better education about our history, about the black experience in our country, which will vary by country, about the, the Hispanic or Latinx experience. How do we open up to this as an opportunity to expand and grow richer rather than shrinking in anxiety? So music, books, theater, books that we need to read to educate ourselves about Black history, Uh, TED talks, all these things are our way to enrich us, not uh, not shrink down into smallness. So I think that's a really major way. Let's open up and find out. So when I say that, what do you think?
0: I'm realizing we don't have to leave our country for these big cultural experiences. In fact, we have probably lumped an idea of what a country is or a type of person is, particularly because of America being branded as America. And that was my big discovery when I came here was that it's a continent. It's (laughs) massive. And each state is like a different country in Europe and it has its own type of language in a way. And it's different food and a different accent and a different way of being and different values and ideas. And I think that's, Quite a joyous thing to learn about within your own country. Yes. And it's the same within smaller countries like England, and there's just so many parts to it. Yes. And there is joy in that difference as well. So maybe we can step into the story that we think we know and start exploring all the subplots.
1: Yes. Yeah. And to do that, I think we have to have cultural humility. And uh, not in some sense of making yourself less than, but in the sense of, I really don't know how things happen, you know, in Scotland, Uh, how do I find out is I listen. I have to not assume that I know (laughs) (laughs) or that it should be like the United States. So how do I get exactly, so I have to have cultural humility enough to listen and open up and find out and ask questions and ask for forgiveness when I step into it because I didn't understand. And it's an opportunity rather than always feeling like I have to shrink in some way from that experience.
0: And it's it's not far away, that experience. It could be at the end of your road. It doesn't even have to be in a different state.
1: Every house on my street has its own background its own cultural history, its own way of doing things, its own experiences. These are all opportunities for story. And whenever you're sharing stories, it's enriching. It's weaving a tapestry of, of we When I know a little bit of your story and you know a little bit of my story, we've shared that story together and enriched each other. So it doesn't have to be you know, across race or across country can just be your neighbor <laughs> yeah. the broader topic of getting to know that which is different and we're surrounded by that which is
0: different. yeah so interesting because I do think I've spent a lot of my life trying to go far away to find out lots of answers and explore and adventure and and it's all here and it's actually probably all inside of us as well if we want to take it to that level but we've got a map of different personalities and selves inside of us just as there are probably within our neighborhood
1: that's right that's right and to move from curiosity drives out fear if you go into curiosity about all this different sub-selves within me about all the people you know in the house next door different cultures different states different countries the more we can expose ourselves to the smorgasbord the richer our lives will be yeah You know, I started here, and then I went off on a different tangent. But I want to get back to uh, where I started, which is the question of why do white people not confront racism when they run into it? And she said, why don't people take a stand? Why don't white people take a stand when they encounter racism? And that stuck with me. Why don't I take a stand? And, you know, part of me says, well, I don't encounter overt racism all that much. But that's not true. I do in subtle ways. For example, I have somebody who uh, does some work for us on our property who has a thing, has a a racist perspective on Hispanic peoples, particularly uh, Mexicans. And so I walked around with that and I thought, so how do I take a stand? You know, it's not heavy duty, but I brush up against it and so on. And I thought, how do I take, what does it mean to take a stand with this person? And what I struggled with was this person, and it's true I think for all of us, is very open-hearted in many ways. For example, he employs a lot of people with disabilities to work for him that ordinarily might not be able to work. So he has people come and work with him who have mental illnesses. He has people come and work with him uh, who, one person has one arm only, uh, and generally he makes an effort. He's very open-hearted and generous around trying to get to help people in that respect. And yet this is also somebody who makes casual racist comments about Mexicans and both are true, and so I wasn't sure how to start having the conversation because it's awkward. How do you have a conversation, and and it's he's this is somebody, and I, I finally just brought the whole dilemma forward. I said, "Look, so and so, let's call, uh, make up a name. Let's call him Tony." And so I said, "Tony, I'm. Can we talk for a few minutes about something that's not related to work?" And I said, you know, you and I have had conversations from time to time. And something I have always really valued about you is I believe I've experienced you as having a good heart. And what I mean by that is, let me tell you what I've seen. I've seen you you know, hire these people, work with people with a lot of different kinds of disabilities and make it available to them in different ways and be very compassionate and understanding of the struggles that they go through. And I said, so I think of you as somebody with a lot of a good heart. And I said, and then, you know, the thing that I'm really confused by is that on the other hand, I also experience you as somebody who is frankly racist about Mexicans. You don't like Mexicans. And I'm confused because you're of a, such a big heart in the one place and such, yet you hold racist views and that, that leaves me really confused about how somebody like yourself who has a really good heart could sort of just put aside an entire group, a race of peoples, a country of peoples, and yet and not have that same kind of openness and compassion and understanding. So can you talk to me about that? So we ended up sitting down and we ended up having a 45-minute conversation And um, it went all over the place. Now, I'm not naive. Let me just say, I don't believe for one second that I permanently changed this man's experience with a 45 minute conversation. I did not. I'm, you know, I know better. But we did have a conversation and I did take a stand. And in my case, I was able to take a stand by also honoring the parts of him, the secret selves in him that were generous, open-hearted, and to be able to point out that it didn't work for me, that, you know, I didn't understand how it went with the parts of him that were closed and prejudiced. And the tension between those parts could be explored. And we did a lot of exploration about, you know, different experiences he'd had as a child and different things that had happened to him that had formed some of his stuff. And, And, you know, we could also talk about, yeah, I get that that happened. Uh, And yet that happened when you were 12 and now you're in your 60s, (laughs) you know. The conversation doesn't feel like it's moved on. What do you make of that? Uh, So we had, we had a conversation and, you know, and then we got interrupted and stuff happened. And, um, but what was interesting is he came back the next day and, um, and he said to me, you know, I enjoyed our conversation yesterday. And I said, okay, you know, what did you enjoy about it? And he said, well, I don't get to talk very much like that. And then we had a conversation about how, I don't have very many people I can say what I said to to him about, about on the one hand, he was open-hearted, on the other hand, he was racist. I don't get to have those conversations. And he didn't get to talk to a quote-unquote liberal progressive very often. That wasn't the waters he swam in. And how um, he said, it made me think. You know, it just made me think a little bit about our, you know, what we talked about. Now, again, I don't want I'm not naive. I did not make any epic change in this man. I probably didn't make any change at all. But we we had a conversation that he was able to come back and say that he actually kind of enjoyed it, and usually we don't reach across to that different person. Ordinarily, I would never have done that except that this colleague of mine said, Why don't you take a stand? And then the question is, what does it mean to take a stand? I could not take a stand that involves saying, Tony, you're a racist. I don't want anything to do with you. It didn't fit my experience. Should I have? Somebody else might have, and maybe that would have been a good thing. That's not my nature. My nature was to know, to be able to say, I see this and I see that, and they don't come together for me. Can we talk about that, to get curious about that? That was taking a stand for me. For somebody else, taking a stand may be throwing a rock at a policeman. That's their taking a stand, not how I would take a stand. Or uh, marching and, you know, or whatever, or taking a knee as a policeman. Taking a stand is different in different situations, in different people. And, but what does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for the people listening to this podcast? What does taking a stand mean? Because I I didn't really know, and I still don't know until I'm up against the next situation. So let me pause and check in with you when I say this.
0: It's tricky, (laughs) I don't have the answer.
1: (laughs) I don't have an answer, you know, I don't have an answer. But I do think the question of what does it mean to take a stand is one I want to walk with uh, Mm -hmm. because I, I wouldn't have taken a stand with this person before. And so I think that question of what does it mean is a really interesting one. So sometimes we want to call forth the good in others and other times we have to take a stand and say, no, no more. And, I think living in the question rather than having a set way of it has to be done this way or no, that way. uh, Can we live in the discomfort of saying, I don't know what the right way is Mm. and every different way may loosen the knot on this a little bit. I don't know. It's an interesting question.
0: Yeah. And you're right. I didn't want to sit with the the discomfort or the uncomfortable way i wanted it to be sort of lovely and easy and sit down and have a cup of tea in a conversation <laughs> which is the british way
1: <laughs> yeah i know i know i, I know uh, me, me too but i i um i try i need to sit in the discomfort <laughs> me too
0: me too this is very enlightening as always thank you faith yeah <laughs> Thank you for listening to this rather edgy episode of the Relationship Matters podcast. These kinds of conversation aren't easy. In fact, they're sometimes messy, unskillful and raw. But the more we step into this kind of dialogue, the more we start to open ourselves up to the multitude of experiences which exist within this world. My key takeaways from this episode are as follows. Firstly, take an honest look at your life. And acknowledge the moments where you've not stood up to racism, however big or small. Get curious with yourself. Secondly, look at what's possible from where you are now. Find out what your locus of control is over the situation. Whilst one person might not be able to eradicate racism, one person can start a discussion with their neighbour. If you found this episode useful, Please do share it with your friends and on your socials and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that other people can find the show and join in the discussion. From the living room to the boardroom, we believe relationship matters.